This week on the podcast, I have an extra special guest. I know I say that every week, but Perrine Fark is the author of Inclusion, which is the best book I've read on inclusion and diversity. And it's not preachy. It's not divisive, as some of the criticism has been sometimes books and professionals in this space. She does a great job of laying out the business case for DNI in all organizations. We talk about the critique of DNI in recent months and years, uh, how she responds to those people who think it's about pushing a political agenda and those that think it's political correctness gone to an extreme, which is a, a view that's gathering momentum right now. We discuss what the goal of DNI should be, uh, who should lead it within the business, and, and much, much more, as well as kind of also how to find good DNI people to help you on on your journey you know not not all not everyone is of the same quality level and you need to find the right people if you are serious about this that can help take you on that journey Perrine is just knowledgeable passionate super super smart real pleasure to speak to I'm not going to keep you in suspense any further all I'm going to say is my conversation with Perrine Fark My extra special guest this week is Perrine Fark. She is an author, entrepreneur, keynote speaker, and inclusion expert who empowers leaders to leverage diversity as their competitive advantage. She was nominated as one of the top 50 most influential UK tech women. She inspires and motivates leadership teams to embrace diversity and inclusion and empowers them to leverage diversity as their competitive advantage. She also helps attract and retain top diverse talent. She has worked with the likes of Facebook, Microsoft, IBM, and many others to mention. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Perrine Fark, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Thank you, Nathan, for having me. And I know it took us a while to organize this podcast today, so I'm so excited to be here today and finally get to speak to you today. Definitely, definitely. That was all my fault, so sorry about those issues, but I'm super excited to speak to you as well. We've followed your work for a very long time. We're a huge advocate of diversity and, and inclusion. Your work is not only thoughtful, but it's also very important. And I'm looking forward to, to the conversation. Before we get into all of the good stuff in your fantastic book, let's talk about your background because it, it's really fascinating. You, you start in technology and IT, and I guess it's a place where women historically and minorities have been underrepresented in, in IT and tech. Tell us how you came to become an advocate of diversity and inclusion. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the, the very short story. Uh, so first of all, I was born and bred in France, like, as you can probably hear from my accent. I, uh, I then moved to Italy for a few years. I worked in Italy for a few years with my uh, then boyfriend, now husband. And then together we moved to London. And ever since I've been living in London for about 12, 13 years, I've always worked in technology. Like you said, I've worked in software companies, B2B software, B2B technology companies. And yes, I quickly realized that it's a very, um, I'll say young white male dominated environment. Um, I would even add a straight young white male, uh, dominated work environment. So if you look around you, there are lots of, uh, you know, white men, young white men who work in tech and there's a bit of this, uh, you know, there are lots of, so many 
images as well in the media, you know, with the myth of the young startup entrepreneur sure. in his garage, you know, like Mark Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. And it's right. And, and, and the media really reinforced that image. And so as a woman in technology, I was often the only one in the room, especially as I grew in my career and I grew into leadership positions. I was very often the only woman in the room. And even at some point, I was the only mom in the room because I, I had children. I had my two kids. And I ended up being in those meetings late at night where all around me were uh, men. They were dads. And they didn't have to worry about rushing home to pick up the kids from school or nursery because they had their wife either not working or maybe working part time where sure. I had to rush home and pick up the kids from nursery and feed them. And, and so it was very hard to juggle. Uh, it just, there was a lack of representation. It personally, I experienced also, I, I didn't get promoted as fast as my male counterparts. Um, I didn't get invited to, you know, the special projects as my male counterparts. So there were a lot of small acts like this that over time made me feel there must be a better way. There must be a better workplace where everybody feels heard and valued and respected, etc. So that's really my personal and professional experience that led me to, to do this today, to really help organizations create a super inclusive workplace where people feel heard and valued and respected so they feel engaged with their work, really. So you write in your book, Inclusion, which is absolutely fascinating, by the way, you write, quote, inclusion is the ultimate secret for an organization's success, end quote. Really, is it that fundamental to an organization's success? Is it that powerful? Yeah, it's a great question because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion about this concept of diversity and inclusion. I think it's often misinterpreted. So great question. Yes. So if you look at um, research by organizations like McKenzie, for example, or even Boston Consulting Group or even Harvard Business Review, uh, there is a lot of research demonstrating the correlation between a workplace that's very diverse and inclusive with more creative thinking, which leads to more innovation and in particular, more revenue for innovations. For example, if you're a tech company or tech startup and your workforce is diverse, so you have men and women and, and black people and, and diverse ages and diverse people from different backgrounds, etc., that's going to lead to more creative thinking. People are going to think differently, more innovative solutions, which in turn create even more revenue from innovation. There is a lot of studies, actually a lot of studies demonstrating that the more diverse and inclusive your team is, the more innovation and even revenue you get from innovation. That's one thing. And then the other side of the story is that if your employees feel included, meaning they feel heard, they feel seen, they feel valued and engaged, they you get, you get better employee retention. Your employees are staying. And we know how expensive it is, the cost for a company to replace an employee. It's extremely expensive to replace an employee, an employee who leaves. Mm. So better employee retention. But most importantly, you get employee engagement and productivity. We know that uh, I think it's about 85% of employees do not feel engaged with their work today. It's, it's a massive, it's a huge number of employees who don't feel engaged with their work today. But if they feel like their opinion matters and their viewpoint matters and they, they contribute to the work, they are more engaged and they're more productive. And again, there's lots of research demonstrating that employees who feel included are more engaged, more productive. And one last uh, area I want to highlight, because you asked me about business benefits, is better decision making. There is an interesting study by MIT. Uh, it's a university in the US mm. that shows that when a team is super diverse, 
basically they are better prepared at making decisions and they make better decisions. Why? Why is that? Is because when you imagine you come into a room of people who are completely different from you, different gender, different age, different ethnic background, different uh, neurodiverse, etc. They are so different that you have to almost prepare double because they might ask you questions that you're not sure. you're not prepared. So you prepare better, and and people who are more prepared then they make better decisions. So. Mm. That's a short answer to your question. There are so many business benefits of having a diverse and inclusive workforce. And it just makes complete sense. It it almost seems as though it's a no-brainer to the point where you're wondering why more organizations aren't thinking in this way, aren't more naturally more inclusive, using it as a competitive advantage, because there are so few other competitive advantages that we have in business today. You would assume that that this way of thinking is just, you know, should be the way that all businesses operate. Talk to us specifically, our audience are sort of agency owners, CEOs, founders, and and directors of marketing agencies in the main. And a lot of the benefits that you mentioned there, higher engagement, increased productivity, increased innovation, uh, creativity, all of those things are crucial to agency businesses because we are people businesses and yeah. we live and die by the value of our ideas. So the, the better our ideas, the, you know, the better value we're able to create for, you know, for clients, the better, the more profitability we're able to have. It's just this kind of virtuous circle. T- talk to me about the challenges that you hear from not only technology o- owners, but other fields as well around the challenges that they have implementing diversity and inclusion in the workplace and again it's a great question um what i see from my experience when i when i coach business leaders about that or when i deliver workshops to business leaders and owners about that what i see in my workshops uh, and it's a very candid we're having very candid conversations uh, is i see business owners and and business leaders who are genuinely fearful of saying the wrong thing Mm. um people with good intentions most people have good intentions by the way but there are a lot of people are fearful of saying the wrong thing so much so that there is a lot of fear and i was reading a survey to to read to kind of uh illustrate what i'm seeing in my workshops what i'm seeing in my coaching with my clients a recent survey was saying that 55 percent of people feel scared to discuss diversity equity and inclusion mm. due to a fear of saying the wrong thing and upsetting people and being politically not correct to the point that it leads to we don't do anything mm. so my job is to dem- demystify diversity equity and inclusion right there's this big you know complex concept this even the name is a bit scary diversity equity inclusion it's very kind of scary, complicated. My job is to demystify and my job is to make those business leaders, agency owners, team managers feel empowered and equipped to talk about it on their own without me. So I I always try to have a very inclusive approach and to make people feel comfortable talking about these concepts. So in my workshops, um, there is never any kind of blaming or finger pointing Uh, but rather we're in this together. So I always say this is a safe space to learn. There is no wrong question or comment. And I find that by the end of my workshops and my coaching, my clients are just more relaxed, really relaxed. And one thing they say to me always is, what what working with you has done is removing the fear. Like we had a lot of fear before. Now we've removed the fear. We feel we understand the concepts, we understand the tools and we can talk about it between us. So 
Um, yes, longer answer to your question, one of the main challenges is to implementing a successful diversity and inclusion strategy, in my experience, is that fear, which is the main thing I'm trying to work on in my work. And what's the ultimate goal here for DNI? I mean, that's one of the pushbacks and concerns that I've heard from some people. Are we trying to create true parity in society where equal amounts of people who are represented in society are then represented in business? What's the goal for DNI in your mind? The main goal that I see when I work with my clients, one of the main reasons they come to me is they want to transform their workplace into a highly inclusive, diverse and collaborative place where people feel included. They want to have a workplace that's fully representative of the society they live in. Because sometimes they look at their other team and they see, well, the people I see in my team are not representative of you know, when I leave the office, that's not, you know, it's not representative and that's an issue. It doesn't represent our client base. It doesn't represent our, our vendors, our ecosystem. So they, they see that and their employees, you know, nowadays employees are very educated. You know, the millennial generation is one of the most educated and socially conscious ever. And so employees are very educated and aware of these things. So the main goal of diversity and inclusion is to create a highly inclusive and diverse team that's representative of the society we live in so we can serve the customers we, we serve in a way that we understand them and and let's talk about who's responsible for sort of initiating change especially as it relates to agencies or sort of you know creative services businesses is it the founder ceo should it be led by the top should it start from the bottom up where have you seen it work best and what's best practice in your mind yeah, and this is, again, something that's evolving. Uh, I was uh, speaking to a journalist the other day about that. The If you think about it 10 years ago, the job of diversity officer did not even exist. Most, I mean, the job diversity and equity inclusion officer almost did not exist 10, 10 15 years ago. It's a relatively new job. So this, this function is relatively new and organizations are still figuring out who should lead that. So my answer is, there, ideally, there should be one person sort of leading these initiatives, whether it's a dedicated diversity and inclusion officer, if you can afford to have, if you're a certain size, or whether it's the person leading the HR or the people team, depending on the size of the organization. But really, it's everyone's responsibility. Mm. Uh, but also, we want to make sure that the CEO or the managing director or the senior leadership team is involved. So it's... It, so the reason why we want every employee to be somehow involved is because you want to have a bottom-up approach as well as a top-down. You want to make sure that um, everybody is doing a little bit to create inclusion in their team, whether they are in, an individual contributor or a team leader, because every everybody, every employee at their own level, they can make an impact on the inclusion in their team. So, and it's interesting because... Um, I'm actually working with people who are, are a different job title. So right now, for example, the main contact in the organization I'm working with uh, is a head of IT. He's a head of IT at a software company based in, uh, in the US on the West Coast in California. And he's the one somehow who is leading the diversity and inclusion efforts. Mm. And I'm also working with another organization and I'm actually working with uh, someone in the marketing team. They're the head of marketing and they are leading a diversity and inclusion uh, strategy and branding exists from a brand perspective as well. 
So you can see that the people I'm working with are not just HR, they are not just diversity mm. officers, but some are in IT, some are in marketing, some are business leaders. So um, I see more and more employee types or functions that are coming to me to lead that. So I think over time, we'll see a shift where more and more departments in the organizations are involved in diversity and inclusion, not just HR, but also mm. marketing, also IT sometimes. Sometimes it will be operations. Um, so yeah, it, it's becoming everybody's job. But most importantly, it has to be, um, we have to have the support from the leadership team. Someone in leadership sh should say, this is a business priority. Otherwise, we won't have the authority and the power and influence we need to move things forward. Hmm, really interesting. So then talk to me about how this gets implemented in the real world, because a, a lot of the criticism around diversity and inclusion is that there's a lot of talk in the, in the boardroom and there's a lot of talk with senior leaders, but actually nothing really gets done. Nothing really gets changed on the, on the shop floor. Um, and we're not really able to sort of affect the change that we want to affects where you know we talk about it but we're not very good at sort of implementing that change talk to me about the roadmap or the process going from educating senior leaders and making them more comfortable with the subject matter to then implementing the changes and actually getting people in through the front door from a diverse background because you know that's not been easy historically yeah yeah and i i agree i think it's uh I, I recommend organizations look at this from a let's make baby steps perspective. We are not going to start and, you know, overnight have a sophisticated uh, diversity and inclusion strategy from scratch. It's, it's going to build over time and we're going to become better at this. So, you know, I always say start with uh, articulating your uh, what diversity and inclusion means to your organization, mm. because diversity and inclusion might mean something different in every organization. So, for example, in tech which is a very uh, male-dominated industry and very wide as well. Uh, diversity and inclusion might be, we want more gender balance and we also want more ethnic minorities. In agencies where it's a lot, it's very female-dominated, maybe there's going to be a bigger focus on we want, we want more ethnic minorities representation in the leadership. So it really depends. So start with defining what diversity and inclusion means to your organization and then incorporate that into your mission statement. That shouldn't take too long, by the way. You know, you just spend some time brainstorming with the rest of your team. How can you revisit your mission statement to incorporate something around diversity and inclusion that you really mean, that's important to you? Because that will dictate all the rest, all the other things you do. We'll go back to your mission statement. Why are you doing that? And then things like setting goals, because what gets measured gets done. When what doesn't get measured doesn't get done. Mm -hmm. So some key goals might be um, workforce diversity, whether it's gender, ethnic background, whether it's age, whether it's um, uh, disabilities, etc., and so on. Uh, and then you might have another key performance indicator at the leadership level. Maybe you want some diversity at the leadership level as well. Another key metric you might measure is employee engagement. We talked about inclusion. It's very hard to measure inclusion. But if you measure employee engagement through pulse surveys, you can get a sense of how inclusive your team feels, really. So that's another indicator you can measure. And last but not least, uh, vendor diversity. How diverse are your suppliers? Mm. Are they all sort of uh, white male owned or do you have any female owned supplier? Do you have any uh, ethnic minority owned mm. supplier? So those are other metrics. So 
once you've really articulated what diversity and inclusion means to your organization, and once you've added that into your mission statement, and once you've set goals, you've kind of have the basics. That, then you can start doing things like uh, creating a task force, a diversity and inclusion task force or committee who will monitor the progress. Or you can start implementing employee resource groups for uh, parents, for example, or for LGBT plus uh, employees, for example. So start with the basics, baby steps, but uh, do do the basics. Uh, you don't have to overnight create a very sophisticated, complex strategy, but start with the basics, those ones, and then you can add and build on top of that. And, and while a lot of people talk about culture fit, I hear a lot of talk about culture fit this and culture fit that. You don't talk about that. You talk about culture add. What do you mean by that? Yeah, it's, it's a very common phrase we hear, especially in, in hiring. Oh, that candidate might not be a culture fit. They, they might not fit within our culture. And that's always a red flag to me because that means that there is a specific stereotype and mold that we expect people to look like. Uh, and by the way, it's not saying that values are not important because every organization's values are very important. Like you, your organization might value, for example, uh, transparency, being humble, uh, being agile, you know, asking questions, it's, it's great and important to have values for an organization. And so by all means, you should have values. But saying we, that candidate might not be a culture fit is assuming that every candidate should look the same. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm more interested in, in uh, culture add. What can they add to the team that we don't already have? Um, different background, different university. Uh, they might come from a different region, different country. What can they add? Because as we know, we all have bias and hidden bias and conscious mm. bias. So we all naturally, as human beings, it's a very natural human uh, trend to, to gravitate towards people who are like us. Mm. So we all have that, right? So when we say, oh, there might not be a culture fit, is it revealing any bias we might have sure. towards a specific type of people? So I always ask, um, you know, rather than using the word, the word culture fit, maybe ask uh, culture, about culture ad what can they bring that we don't already have that's why yeah. that's why i always i'm a bit careful when i hear culture fit yeah no me too it, it, it seems as though hmm you want other people that look and sound and act just like you yeah really interesting so just bringing the conversation towards towards a close now i mean there are a lot of agencies out there and businesses out there who are looking to uh, sort of implement inclusive strategies and become more diverse the start one of the starting points for them will be to hire and work with a dni expert but there have been a lot of criticisms around sort of diversity experts and i guess varying qualities of, di of diversity and inclusion experts as you get with all things right all types of external consultants what should agencies and businesses be looking for when they're looking to hire or work with a dni expert yeah, absolutely. I think like, like you said, for like any other business consultant, you would look at things like uh, references, right? So make sure you get a few references from customer client references, actually speak to them on the phone, you know, like call, call the clients, uh, at least two or three of them and ask them what value did they get from the service? Uh, I think if, if it's a good consultant, they should be happy to provide you with a few numbers of clients to, to talk about uh, the, the work that has been done previously. And then you can look up testimonials online, whether it's on their website or just uh, Google reviews or just online reviews is always another way to check the quality of the work. 
and then look at any past content that's been produced. You can always check their whether it's a blog post they might have, or maybe they've written a book. Uh, is the book does the book have good reviews or not, or no review at all? Uh, have they written ebooks? Have they given interviews to journalists that you can find? So you can do a bit of research, essentially, like you would for any other mm -hmm. consultant. Makes makes complete sense. We're, we're running out of time. I've only got a few more minutes with you, but I can't let you go without asking some of our favorite questions. These are the questions that we ask all of our guests, and I'm excited to ask you some of them as well. Almost like, who's the person behind the brand sort of questions, Perrine? I'll start with a nice, easy one. Tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Yeah, I uh, I was thinking about about that, I, and I think when I ref reflected on on that, I think one. I mean, first of all, there are so many times I failed, and I f I still fail every day, like everybody else. Um, but uh, when I was an employee, and I felt you know in tech, and I felt that my voice was not being heard and and valued or respected, you know, I think one of the things I felt reflecting back, I felt that taking ownership, and I felt that actually realizing I have a voice and I can use it instead of just passively accepting that I was not being heard or valued or I was not being promoted. So, mm. yes, yeah, so I think I felt to take ownership of my career and just take, ownership, take the opportunity to speak up and stand up and speak for myself. And mm. that's something I'm trying to use in every day. And even with the people I work with, when I coach clients to say, you have power, everybody has power to change things. You're never, you're always in control of your reaction. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a failure slash learning mm. that I can, I'm happy to share. Mm. Very stoic. I love it. Tell us about some of your favorite books. This is our listeners favorite question, by the way, what books have been instrumental in the way that you think about diversity and inclusion and belonging in the workplace? What books do you go back to time and time again? It could be fiction, nonfiction, whatever. Yeah, there are so many. I'm an avid reader of audiobooks. I confess it's all audiobooks. Um, <laughs> it's really bad. Audible but is great. <laughs> it's the lifesaver. when It really is on when you're low on time. When you're a parent, you're multitasking audiobooks. <laughs> um, so one of my favorites I go back to when I'm in moments of, hmm, why should I read? It's always uh, Mindset by Carol Dweck. I don't know if you've read oh, brilliant, brilliant Mindset book. by Carol Dweck or even you watch her TED Talk. She's got an excellent TED Talk. She is but, awesome. Yeah, for those listeners here who have not read the book or about her, she, she essentially says we're not born talented. We can all learn talent, which is a huge, it sounds like a simple concept. There is a lot of research backing this up. So from children mm -hmm. to adults, we can always grow any talent, by the way. Today, mm -hmm. you can say, I'm going to learn an instrument and you can learn an instrument or mm -hmm. I'm going to learn how to do mountain hiking and you can climb the Everest. You can. So I love this book because it works mm. at work, in your career, in your business, with your family. You can always learn skills. So Mindset by Carol Dweck, absolutely re recommend. It's one of those books that when I read it, I had a mindset shift. And there are very rare, those books are very rare where I actually thought about everything completely differently in my life for the first time. I was like, actually, if I decide that I want to become yeah. X or become Y or do X and, y and become Y. It's not because I am inherently not good at those things. It's because I haven't decided that I want yes. to be good at those things. And we thought, you know, because we all, um, we all tell ourselves our own story. Mm. We all tell ourselves the story of I am X, Y, Z, mm. but we could always rewrite the story mm. of who we are. And so this book is just amazing. I'm so glad mm. you read it. It's really good. <laughs> really love it. 
Okay, what advice would you give to a young person or let's say a black person or a female, or let's let's call her a female black person in, in tech, yes. <laughs> who wants to start her career in the IT industry? What, what advice do you give her? I'd say own your voice. You do have a voice and you can change things. So just take full ownership. I know things are hard. Things are hard for everyone, but just take ownership. Use your voice. Speak up, stand up. And you can do amazing things. You can. So uh, it's like you say, it's a mindset mindset shift. You have to believe in yourself. Mm. But you have to believe in yourself because nobody else is going to do the work for you. You have to do the work. Mm. Believe in yourself. Own your voice. Find your voice and speak up. And you can do anything. Well said. Love it. And my final question, Perrine, what is it you know about diversity, inclusion, belonging today that you wish you knew at the beginning of your career? It's a bit the same answer I, I would give you, I just gave, which is you, as in me or I or you, can change really. We, it's, it's by giving up our powers that we basically give up our powers. It's by not realizing we do. So, for example, you, even if you're an individual contributor or a student or an intern and you think you don't have any power to change diversity and inclusion, yes, you can. So uh, just realizing that you, whoever you are, you have the power to change things, to create more inclusion around you. By the way, whether it's at work or at home, just by your behavior, by sort of modeling the behavior you want to see in others, you can change. So the advice I would give to myself, my younger self would be, um, believe in yourself. You have the power to change things. Mm. Yeah, that's the main advice I would, I would give. That's a great place to end. Perrine, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Nathan. It was so great to speak to you today. We have been speaking with Perrine Fark. She is the author of Inclusion. She's also an entrepreneur and keynote speaker. If you enjoyed this conversation, then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to over 145 such conversations we've had with world-class leaders in, you name it, sales, marketing, inclusion, belonging, just go down the list. Thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email. Write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com. Please follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do our show without our very own deal masters. Sarah Spence is our production assistant. Tyler Baller is our booker slash editor. Christoph Boaszczek is our executive producer. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. <laughs> <laughs>